What's up, Shadano and LZ with you here on 710. Happy Friday to everybody. Yes, sir. The weekend is here, LZ Granderson. The yes. Lakers' dominance is showing. Continues. Exciting times to be a fan of the crown jewel of the NBA known as the Los Angeles Lakers. What did you? What was your biggest takeaway yesterday? My biggest takeaway yesterday was we've been we've been very stressed out us here in Laker Nation about who's going to be the third scorer. Correct. Because Kuzma, for as talented as he is offensively, hadn't really been a consistent offensive presence mm-hmm. throughout the regular season. Mm-hmm. And what I what I finally have settled into last night, and I kind of suspected that through the course of the season, but it certainly was clear last night is that the third scorer is everybody else. Correct. <laughs> you know, it just – last night it was – wait, who? It was Caruso's Caruso night. Caruso played The night well, before yeah. that it was Rondo. The night yeah. before that it was, you know, Markeith Morris. Listen, as long as somebody is willing to step in and shoot efficiently and give us double digits, we're good. This notion that Kuz needs to be a consistent 15-point scorer, 45% from the field every night – didn't hurt us during the regular season, and obviously has not hurt us in the, in the playoffs either. I will contend that they need two guys, not named Anthony Davis and LeBron James, to have good offensive games. And you had Caruso and Rondo yesterday, because while Rondo didn't have the 20-point scoring game, he did have eight assists and 10 rebounds yesterday yeah. with 11 points. So I, I'm with you on that. I think that that's what they need. They need two guys to step up in those situations. I will say this. You could tell the Lakers game was kind of a laugher yesterday. Now, it did get close there, a five-point game with a minute and change to go. And all of a sudden, things got a little tight until Caruso hit that big shot from LeBron. Um but I knew it was a laugher because our text chat with Greg and Laura was pretty tame yesterday. There wasn't a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of conversations going on there. Um, you know, Laura and Greg, Greg specifically gets very angry when things aren't going well for the Lakers. Uh, Laura gets feisty. But, Greg, you were pretty tame yesterday in the chat. I don't like this way you're even putting this. Why do you think that I get angry? You I do. don't you ever get, get very angry. Antsy. Because we have receipts. Anxiety-ridden. Yes. Yeah. No, no, no. You make it seem that way. I'm sitting watching the game, having a good time. And but really, there was nothing. There was nothing to be upset about. I'm okay. looking at a, okay. I'm looking Hold at a text from a couple of nights ago. What the hell is okay. going on? I can't stand this. Somebody save me! Right. I was just going to ask. No, you no, LZ. Like, get out of here, LC. Greg. Come on. Greg. Okay. I'm going to ask Laura because again, she's the more practical person, the most practical person on this show. Um, she also goes with whatever you say. That's, so, okay. that's not, not true. true. That's not true. Thank you. Wow. That's Laura, an insult. Does Greg come across as anxiety ridden while he's on our text chat during Laker games? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? It's not even, this isn't even a debate. I don't even not know why even. you're fighting this, Greg. Uh, because it's because it's just not how it is. I've seen you watching a Miami Heat game or some other type of game. You are way worse than I. But I'm it's not, not admitting. But I'm not saying I'm not the emotional <laughs> one. You know what I'm saying? Like I I I am very emotional watching sports. Uh, right. I'm Latino. Exactly. Like Laura said in my ear. Um, yeah. That's what we do. I'm good with that. You know what I mean? Like I I own that. You clearly want to fight this. That's not a bad thing. No, I look. I enjoy watching my games, and you guys aren't in the room with me. It, but I am. I'm enjoying the game. I do get a little upset when there's when a bad foul calls. That's all. You well, do listen, rip the refs a lot. I knew this game was going to be a laugher, not because of what actually happened on the court, but because of what happened the night before. Oh, with House. With House. Yeah. <laughs> because listen. Yeah. If you're in the middle of a playoff battle and you legitimately think you have a shot. 
You're not doing that. No. You're just not. Now, granted, I don't know what she looks like, so I'm going to you know, hold off my final judgment until a picture arises. <laughs> However, my gut tells me is that whatever she looks like is secondary to the fact that House did not believe this squad was going to beat the Lakers anyway, so he got it in before he left the bubble. He wanted to make sure he says, how you doing, yeah. before he went back to Houston. Right, shouted her out, right? And right. she was a um uh she was one of the COVID uh, testers there COVID at, testers. in the bubble. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so she needs to be in this sweet spot where she can get his attention. Easy now. I'm just saying, <laughs> get his attention <laughs> but not get in trouble right away. Yeah, easy now. Um I I would also say that the Lakers mm. are beating the Rockets at their own game. Like that's the crazy part of this. The Rockets were 16-0, LZ, in the regular season when they shot 40% from three. They're 0-3 in these playoffs, all the losses against the Lakers. The Lakers have done everything in their power to beat them at their own game. And again, it's what you and I, and we talked about this a little bit on Crosstalk, talked about really the entire time we've been on the show. AD being the big on the floor is going to resonate, right? It creates this situation where... The floor is more open when he's the best, when he's the big man, because he can float in and out of the paint, um, and, and that just helps the supporting cast. It helps the role players. It helps the shooting. Hell, it helps LeBron, who needs space to get in there and work his magic in the paint too. The fact that George, to your point, that in the high screening role, that they're very comfortable letting AD guard James Harden one on one, right? And clearly, it hasn't hurt them a great deal because they're up 3-1 in the series. And James has had, you know, minimum, if any, impact at all on, the, on any of these games this series. Just let you know how good that guy is and how wrong it was that he wasn't Defensive Player of the Year. But just beyond that, to me, this is a, a testament to what an excellent hire Frank Vogel was. Mm-hmm. Because one of the biggest issues that this Laker team had last year besides the fact that Lonzo Ball was the starting point guard, was the fact that their defense was woe to the full, woeful, awful. And Frank has brought in, and we knew he would because he's a defensive coach. Lionel Hollins is a defensive-minded coach. Jason Kidd is one of the best defensive point guards to ever play the game. We knew the minds on that bench was going to make defense a priority, and it has come to pass. You're not scoring easily against this team unless we take our feet off the gas, our collective feet off the gas. If we don't do that, it's going to be tough scoring against us. Yeah, for sure. Their defense travels, man. Like, they're just – they're that good on defense. And that's kind of his bread and butter, right? It was always that way with his Indiana teams. And, look, I, I almost look at the Orlando time as just like uh, – his general manager was so bad. He was that, a hockey guy. Yeah, there was nothing for. <laughs> there's nothing he could do there. But yeah. th- look, man, I covered those Indiana teams. You know what I mean? Like that's where I met Frank the first time. And what was he wearing? Uh, suits. Okay. Yeah. Right. Uh, so <laughs> he, you know, he he was really good back then too. He just ran into a team that was better than his. You yeah. know. And now LeBron's right, right. (laughs) Now he's the guy that has LeBron and the better team. But I want to shout him out specifically about this. And I'd love to hear uh, anxiety written Bergman and Laura's thoughts on this. Um, 
Frank Vogel showed huge, big, humongous basketballs when he put in Taylor Horton Tucker into that game. Because that could have been disastrous, LZ. That would that could have ruined not only the, the lead that they had, which was double digits at the time, it could have ruined the kid's confidence. I think, if anything, the, the only thing I would say, and Stan Van Gundy said this about the kid, yo, kid, you don't have to shoot the ball every time you have it. You have Anthony Davis on the floor with you. Um, but defensively, he was great, and I like the fact that he – he did that to get him some run in a situation where they had a little bit of a cushion because they may need him in that next series. Well, he was a scorer, <laughs> quite frankly. I mean, that's what we knew coming into it. This is about him getting a little bit bigger and more familiar. But this is this this kid can't even buy a drink. He's 19 years 19, old. Right, He's yeah. not even 20. Yeah. And when you saw him out there, and I, I could understand from a coach's perspective having that kind of you know sensibility, but listen, he's a scorer. If coach calls your number, he's not calling your number to go out there and be timid on the offensive end. He wants you to be aggressive. And oh, by the way, it paid off. Now, it may not pay off in game five. It may not pay off ever again in the rest of this playoff series. But the reality is, is that Frank Vogel, to your point, showed a lot of courage and confidence in his young rookie because he's been working with him all year and he knew he wasn't going to shrink at the moment and it paid off. That sweet move he made to the to the basket with the finger roll to finish, I was like, go ahead, get in your bag, young fella. Let them know you ain't just here to spot up. You could break them off if you want to now. Right, right. Yeah, he was excellent. Were you excited to see him, Bergman? Yeah, I was really excited to see him. I always thought that he was going to be a big piece for this team eventually, obviously not this year. But I mean, if anything, he got a little bit too excited where he was like trying to take James Harden to the bucket at one point. He got a little bit a little bit over on on himself a little bit. But honestly, I, he's a guy that can get to the basket and that's one of the biggest things that the Lakers don't have and why they even had Deion Waiters in a game a couple games ago before he got injured was because you needed somebody that could get to the basket and Taylor Horton Tucker can do that. Uh, Laura, were you uh, were you a little afraid though when he came in the game because you hadn't really he's only been in six games this season. I don't think I was afraid. I was curious of what it was going to be like, what how he was going to be, how he was going to be on the floor. But I love that Vogel did that because it really it really sent a message like, I know my guys got it, and I'm going to put this guy in to just sprinkle more like um, I don't know what the word is. I have it in Spanish, but it's like. Say it in Spanish. Say it in I'll Spanish. Translate. Yeah, we'll all translate. I can't say it. It's a bad word. <laughs> oh. Oh. Okay. All right, then I won't translate. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a bad word. Just inject a little energy, I think. Maybe. I, not energy, but uh, <laughs> I can't say. I have the word in my tongue, and I'm trying really hard not to say it because it's a bad word. But it's, no, it's not cojones. But um, that's not a bad word. That's not a bad word. That was I mean, Jorge over here. It is, but it is kind of like kind of throwing like shade at them. Like, look, I'm gonna put a rookie in, and we're still gonna beat you. Okay, and we didn't even have to do that. I'm glad you said that because that's when I knew the Rockets were done. I knew the Rockets were done, LZ, when Taylor Horton Tucker came in the game, and they didn't take that as a personal affront. Frank Vogel challenged them and their manhood, basically. I'm going to, as Laura said, I'm going to put this rookie in the game who has played six games, okay? And I'm going to let him go out there and do his thing in the middle of a playoff series. That's how little I respect what you guys are doing on the floor right now. And the fact that they didn't fight back and take advantage of that, that's when I knew this series was over. That 
that moment right there, I'm like, this is done. Yeah, I mean, listen, man. The kid can play, though. <laughs> like, like the, he, he didn't get in a lot of right, games LZ, for the regular I, season. But, I get it. but, yeah, but I, you, That's I, not I, the normal situation. I feel this way, though. I, I don't feel like it was a, you know, thumbs up or, you know, flipping off the, the Rockets in terms of challenging them and they didn't come through. I think it was simply Frank being willing to try something when he knows what that kid can do in practice, when he's seen that kid in action in the games that he has appeared in and says, this is a good chance for me to give one of my veterans a breather because we have a good cushion, and I don't think we're going to lose that cushion in the brief five to six minutes that this kid plays. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you're, Frank, you're right about Frank's idea about it. But what I'm saying is if I'm the other side of that, I'm with Laura. I'm looking at that. I'm like, you're putting this rookie in this game? Oh, hell no. That's not going to happen. Like, you have to take it as a personal affront is what I'm saying if you're the Rockets. Man, that dude is like, what, 6'5", 230, 240? <laughs> I mean, he ain't no little kid. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I didn't see it that way. I didn't see it as a, you know, I'm just going to throw in this 19-year-old because there's nothing you guys can do and, and you didn't step up. Honestly, I really felt it, it started with House. I know I'm making a joke about it, but it just seems as if if that team was zoned in, locked in, and serious, what happened in that scenario would never have happened. Would never have happened. This is an indictment on James Harden. And the kind of leader he is, this is an indictment on, on, on Mike D'Antoni and the kind of temp, the kind of culture that's been set. You're in the middle of a damn playoff with the Lakers. You're 2-1, still very much in the series, and you decide to pull that in the bubble? Yeah, no, it's, it's pretty whack. There's no doubt. <laughs> um, I mean, that's a cultural thing, man. Yeah. You could have threw George Sedano out there in the third quarter, and you would have been good for buckets. I only come in in the fourth, LZ. That's what my I'm bad. Saying. My bad. Sorry. Uh, all right. They would have needed you in the fourth, too. They cut the lead down. Uh, they did cut the lead down. <laughs> I would have been out there with Caruso. Uh, all right. Coming up next, let's get into how messy this Rockets thing is getting. Because I think it's messy. Like, really, really, really messy. Like, so messy that I think that this notion that they're going to be around and Harden's going to be around, I don't know if I'm feeling that way anymore. Uh, we'll get to all that coming up. Plus more on the Lakers and the 100 top 100 pizza places in America. Find out how many spots L.A. has. We'll get into that on the other side. Sedano and LZ, 710 ESPN. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the Launch Your Online Shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the Did We Just Hit a Million Orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash network. Sedano and LZ with you here on 710 ESPN. Our buddy Michelle Steele of ESPN was at the Chiefs-Texans game yesterday where there was some controversy about uh, the two teams kind of locking together in unity for Thank unity God. and racial justice. Thank um, God it was controversy, George, because the game was a snoozer. 
the game was a snoozer. Uh, the Chiefs are really damn good again. <laughs> so <laughs> so that, that pretty much is the deal there. Um, so we'll talk to her for a few minutes uh, coming up in just a moment. Mike Trudell is going to stop by today at 5.15. We'll talk some Lakers with him and our boy Mark Anthony K. Mac uh, from the LAFC at 6.15. So we will chat with him as well. So real quick, LZ, before we get into the Rockets and what a mess they are right now. Mm-hmm. And by the way, the Clippers are just destroying uh, the Nuggets right now. They're up 15. Oh, let me here. take a look. I've been watching the U.S. Open. Yeah. Hold yeah. It's, it's not pretty. Yeah. All right. Not pretty. Um, so it looks like that series is pretty much done right now. So we'll, uh, we'll keep you up to date on that. It's 42-27 early in the second quarter. Clippers leading the Nuggets. How's, uh, how's our boy doing? Who? PG? The, the, no, no, no. The chatty rookie who wanted more touches. Oh, Michael Porter Jr. Yeah, what's up with that? We weren't on the air because of the Laker game yesterday, but I had the same reaction that all the other veterans seem to have had in this league and and all the former players, which is like, yo, man, relax. You know what I'm saying? Like, you just, you know, you got Similac still on your breath. You know what I mean? Like, like chill out. He said, I need some touches, yo. You got to get more people involved. And by people, I mean me. Yeah, like, you got to chill out, man, all right? Like, you know, you've got uh, an MVP candidate on your team in Nikola Jokic. you got a guy in Jamal Murray who's a baller, um, you know? I, but, I, I but, think here's, that, but here's the thing, though, dog. Yeah. George, he wasn't telling no lies. It's predictable as hell what they're going to do. He didn't tell no lies. He may not have been the one that should have told it, but he didn't tell no lies. That offense is predictable as hell. Um, it is, but I, I would say that when it's rolling, it's pretty damn impressive. You know True. what I mean? Like, I think there is some of that, too. Uh, there's very few teams that have a big man like that that can move the ball the way Jokic does. So, uh, you know, there's just, there's just not. There's, there's like maybe three or four teams in the sport that can do it that way. Uh, so, Michael Porter Jr., by the way, has one shot up right now in nine minutes. <laughs> so, he, uh, it, it yeah. hasn't been good. Now, Jamal Murray has 11 shots up. So, clearly, he took that the, the, the slight the most. Uh, and he only has three makes uh, thus far in the game. It's 42-31. Uh, we'll keep you posted on what's going on there as Denver tries to get back in that particular game. But real quick, Elsie, you know I love um, the Daily Meal. My, uh, my favorite food website. So they did the 101 best pizzas in America. Mm. How many do you think of the 101 were based in Southern California? Of the 101? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's in America. So they're counting like Montana and like South Dakota. There are no pizza places in Montana or South Dakota that are worth going to, but that does count. Well, that's, that's, what I'm, yeah. that's what I was thinking. So, yeah. like, so I'm going to go with... 17. 17. Okay. Greg Bergman, how many pizza places out of the 101 best pizza places in America are in Los Angeles or Southern California? I, would, I wouldn't call Southern California the pizza capital of the, of the United States. I, I would so I'm agree. Gonna say like, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say like two. Uh, Laura, how many? I'm going to say four. Uh, Greg Bergman with the closest one there. Uh, it what? is one. There's one. One. Yeah. One. I didn't think it was going to be one. very high. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it is. Well, I will say this. There is a lot of great cuisine here in Southern California. I think it is the best food city in America, okay, as far as all the different kinds of cuisines you can get, right? It's either here or New York City, okay? But, well, oh, San Francisco is a good one, Laura. That's true. Uh, Pizza is not one of them. Like, I I did, when we were on the midday show, um, 
I, LZ, we talked about this. There, there's just not a lot of great pizza. Like, there's okay pizza, you know what I mean? But it, there's not a lot of great ones. So the only one that popped up on the list was Pizzeria Mozza. Uh, there are two locations. There is one in Hollywood, uh, kind of like uh, – in you know where Pink Hot Dogs is? Because yep. I've seen this place. I know where it is. Yep. Yeah, it's it's just – it's right there. It's like in the Melrose area, basically. Um it's right off of Melrose Avenue, I think, and Highland, uh, I think, is, is are the cross streets. And then they also have, like, a, an, another one in Orange County, basically, down Newport Beach. But that's the only one, and that was number 48 on the list. Do you have a good pizza, a go-to pizza spot? Mama and Papa's. Big Mama's and Papa's. In Pizzeria downtown? In downtown. That is my go-to. I've actually had some pretty decent pizza, and I've lived in Chicago Obviously, was born and raised in Detroit. I've lived in New York. Detroit, by the way, had like five on the list. Oh, we got pizza, dog. If, yeah. Like, Pizza Popolis is like the spot, yeah. which I'm assuming is in the top 20, if not the top 10 on this list. Yeah. Because Pizza really? Popolis is ridiculous. Uh, I could look it up. I would, it's, I'll it's find it later. ridiculously good. But what Detroit has is, good pizza? It, yes. Yeah, I have like five or six places. We have our own list. style wow. of pizza, as a matter of fact. In fact, there's a place out in, in L.A. that says Detroit-style pizza. And then I went there and let them know that ain't Detroit, dog. Buddy's Pizza is the highest rated in Detroit. Buddy's is straight. Yeah. It's straight. It's not no pizza populace, but it's straight. Yeah. Uh, Laura, what's your go-to pizza place? So I originally had said this, like, Pizza Co. in Baldwin Park is close to me, but I just tried a new one out there. so good. It's called Monstrous Pizza in West Covina. Yeah. So good. It's really different. They have, like, different toppings, so they get fancy with it. It's pretty good. Greg? There's a place right down the street from me. It's called Joe Peeps, but it's New York-style pizza, so does that count? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So Joe Peeps, New York pizza. Delicious. Yeah. Uh, Chicago's okay. It's it's fine. Um so yeah, when I think I, of pizza, I think New York and Chicago. Yeah. I've never heard of Detroit-style pizza. Well, I'm sorry. I got, Let me yeah, tell you. We have I got pizza. Burratino's in San Pedro. That place, to me, is really, really good. Um, Any Miami pizza? Oh, there's a place called Crust in Miami that's really good. That name's original. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's on the Miami River. It's where a bunch. It's like it's funny because it's like where a bunch of seafood restaurants are, um, but it's like the only pizza place in that general area, kind of just off outside of downtown. But I like Burratinos in San Pedro. That's my spot. Um, all right, here's what we're gonna do. Michelle Steele is gonna join us. Wait, on the wait, 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 wait. What's number one? Oh, oh, it's actually a place I'm very familiar with because, and you may be as well because you've been in Connecticut for before. Wait, it's uh, in Connecticut. Yeah. I'm out. No, it's no, it's the best pizza I've ever had. Because Frank if, it's Pepe. Myst, if it's Mystic's Pizza, I'm no, Frank leaving. Pepe, Frank Pepe in uh, in New Haven. It is the best pizza I've ever had. All right, I'm out. Yeah, no, it is. It's the best pizza I've ever had, and I've lived in New York, and I've lived in in Miami. I've been to Chicago a million times. Yeah, I yeah, it's the best pizza I've ever had, Frank Pepe. It is really good. I'll give them that. All right, uh, all right. Michelle Steele's going to join us here in a second. Laura's going to get her on the phone, promised. We will have Michelle Steele, one of our great correspondents and reporters at ESPN, joining us now here on Sedano and LZ on 710 ESPN. Uh, Michelle, thank you so much for taking the time. Hope you and yours are all healthy and safe. Now, we wanted to talk to you about the uh, game last night in Kansas City and everything that transpired there, but uh, we have bigger things that we're discussing here, including the top 101 <laughs> best pizza places in America. That list just came out today. Uh, you're, you're a Chicago person. Now, I I'm going to tell you what they the highest-ranking Chicago pizza place they had here, and you tell me if this okay. is legit, legit or not. I, I think I'm pronouncing this correctly. Is it Peacod's? 
Uh, Pequods. Pequods. Sorry. Yeah, that's the n- uh, number by two. The way, by the yeah. way, that's a little bit of a wild guess on my part because I've heard Pequods is really, really good, but I'm not. I, I'm a New York pizza person. I am okay. not a Chicago pizza person. Oh. I, I'm from here. I I love Chicago. Give me a Chicago dog any day of the week. Right. But when it comes to pizza, I don't want a cake with pepperoni. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? You don't have to do. You don't have to do the deep dish every time. There's thin crust. Come on. I know that. I know there's other stuff, but they don't do the thing that drives me nuts. And I, I, I've lived in both places, but it's so hard to find pizza by the slice in Chicago. It is. I've got got one spot. I've got my go-to, but it's not ubiquitous like it is in New York. You kind of miss, you know, folding it eating it, walking down the sidewalk. I know you guys don't walk in L.A., but it's this thing that you do sometimes <laughs> when you're not in the car. I thought walking is what you do to get to your car. Is yeah, that, exactly. That, we yeah. do that. We walk. What are you talking I actually, about? Actually, truth be told, is I take an Uber to get to my car to walk in my car. So yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, no, but you know what, LZ? Occasionally, we will walk like to, on the sand when we get to the water, right? Like, there's that. Yeah. Listen, mm-hmm. Sedano and Michelle. This, Sedano and Michelle, this is, this is a true story. I'll be real quick with it. My buddies, I was standing at my buddy's house. They had run out of eggs. We were having breakfast. They said, can you run to the store and get some eggs? I said, sure. I started walking. They said, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to the store. They said, why aren't you driving? I said, because I can see the store. It's a half a block away. <laughs> um, but- did, did they give you a ride? Were they like, no, you're yeah. not letting step foot. They, they were shocked that I walked to and back from the store with, yeah. the, with the eggs and didn't drive. That, that is yeah. funny. Though, I Michelle, think- Michelle, I thought it was great. I, I've never heard it referred to as I don't want to eat cake when I eat pizza. But that is absolutely a great analogy with Chicago-style pizza. True. You could feel free to use that, George. Oh, that was excellent. <laughs> excellent. Time you're in Chicago. We'll, so, we'll do. Uh, Michelle it, Michelle Steele, uh, the great Michelle Steele, ESPN reporter correspondent, with us here. So you were there last night, and and look, the game was kind of a snoozer, and it really wasn't the story. The story was when the players came in unison um, to lock together yeah. in arms, right, for unity and racial justice, and the reaction was the story. What was your sense from being there uh, What, uh, in regards to what the reaction was? Like, what, what did you think the reaction was in real time? Yeah, it, it was unusual. You know, I've been in this business long enough that I can count on one hand the number of times that I have heard the home crowd boo the home team at Arrowhead, and both of those times happened last night. You know, the, there was booing. And I'll, I'll admit here, there was there was some cheering as well you know i don't want to paint with a broad brush but the booing certainly got picked up by television cameras and it was audible to any of the reporters that were in the stadium and it occurred at two different points two different extremely you know in my eyes very benign innocuous points during the game or or during the pregame during the lift every voice and sing and then they played a video on social justice inside the stadium and when the chiefs ran back into the locker room after that there were there were some boos mixed in with cheers again and of course this is this was what was picked up on national television um, for the moment of unity between Texans and Chiefs players that was uh, you know that was notable by every single writer reporter in the press box because you first of all it was unexpected and second of all, you just you just don't hear booing for the home team, Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid at Arrowhead. You know, let me give you guys some context, though, for this. I was doing live shots up until kickoff 
in the stands because we're not allowed to be on the field because of coronavirus protocols. So when you're in the stands, you're in really close contact with the fan experience, I guess, which is something that I have not done uh, for the NFL in a long time. And one thing that you notice right away is the drinking. There's people who have been tailgating, you know, for three hours before the game that walk in. And this is something that I mentioned um, on SVP last night, you guys. I don't think you can separate the booing from the fact that people, some people had been tying one on for hours before heading into the stadium. I don't want to make excuses. My point in saying that is that whenever you have drinking, you have a higher risk of inappropriate behavior. And the bar for what's considered appropriate has dropped in the last few years. And you get booing during the moment of unity. And, you know, booing during any moment of silence is inexcusable. But when you think about these players that have been denigrated publicly for years now, their patriotism question and that not really being pushed back on by the league, really, until this summer, you get booing during a moment of unity. I'm sorry I went so long with that first response, but I've thought about this. I think there's a little bit of nuance here, and I think there's a direct line between how players' patriotism has been questioned to people thinking it's appropriate now to publicly express um their displeasure, their resentment, whatever, to players in the stadium, in a home stadium. This is a problem for the NFL, and it's going to be a problem this weekend, too. Well, I would say that as someone who has sipped every alcohol that's ever been invented and has smoked every kind of marijuana that's ever been grown, <laughs> I've never gotten so high or drunk that I turned racist all of a sudden. But, this, <laughs> but with that being Fair. said, with that being Fair. said, um, no, but that's why I mentioned the bar for what's appropriate, I think. Well, I, I, societal well, norms for some has changed in the last few years when you see these players being denigrated the way they have the last few years. Well, I, I will say that a, a drunk person's words are sober man's thoughts. But with that being said, I have heard reports that there may have been some confusion in terms of the timeline because booing started when the Houston Texans took the field. Are, is there any wiggle room to suggest that some of that booing had to simply do with the Texans being present and not the demonstration itself? Yeah. So we were talking a little bit about that, you know, among the reporters. And for the first the first booing incident, I guess, there were no um, there were no Texans players on the field. It was just Chiefs players and they were all lined up along the goal line. And at the end of that uh, video and at the end of Lift Every Voice and sing, sing when they ran into the locker room, you heard a mix of booing and some cheering. And that was unusual. That was the first incident. The Texans were not on the field. And then with, with the moment of silence, the PA um, person loudly said, you know, we are going to, and I'm paraphrasing now because I don't have it in front of me, but, you know, the PA person essentially said, we're going to have a moment of silence. Um, for the fight for equality for all, and the booing immediately started. Now, some Chiefs fans did, you know, come at me on social media and say, you know, we were just saying Chiefs, or we were we were confused because we saw Texans players, and of course we're going to boo. But, you know, today is September 11. If it was a 9-11 moment of silence and the Texans were on the field, I really don't think anyone would be booing and reporters have been doing this for a long time. Like it, it's, it's hard to um, confuse 
a boo. You know, I, I know what, I've been going to Arrowhead for years, I know what chief sounds like, and I know what a boo sounds like. And for, for, for that matter, J.J. Watt also knows what a boo sounds like, and he's one of several players who confirmed he also heard booing. Yeah, it would have been great if J.J. was more genuine in terms of why they were booing as opposed to saying he didn't know why they were booing. But my last question yeah. to you um, in, in terms of, I'm just curious, because we know that it was basically one fan for every five seats in the stadium, how did the organization decide who was going to be there? And is there a chance that this booing was actually a stage thing and not spontaneous? Staged in what sense? That the people who were selected were going to be, you know, antagonistic towards like a social justice message? Yeah, like like I want to know what the process was of selecting the fans. Was it, you know, tickets were given to certain organizations or people? Was it random? Was it a lottery? I do not know how the fans were selected for this game. I do know, LZ, that they paid a pretty penny to get into the building because this was the first home game after the Super Bowl champions had been crowned. And this was, you know, this was initially a very hot ticket um, in Kansas City. Last night there were tickets still available, you know, on the secondary market once the weather kind of shifted and it appeared that it would be very cold and very damp for most of the game. But, you know, when these tickets came on the market, I'm, I'm, I'm told that they were snatched up pretty quickly and people paid a lot of money for the tickets. So people who who were in the building definitely wanted to be there. I don't know, however, who they were. I, I can tell specifically, I can tell you that the Hunt family and Clark Hunt in particular wanted fans in the building. He wants to celebrate the Super Bowl championship with people um, paying to be there and wanting to be there and wanting to see that, you know, Super Bowl banner uh, being raised at Arrowhead. So um, the league does not have a league-wide policy when it comes to fans, of course. As you guys know, out in L.A., me here out in Chicago, these teams are not allowing fans, but some some teams are allowing them. Only five, and the Chiefs are one of them. And uh, when you're the Super Bowl winners, I guess, you get, you, you get what you want. All right, Michelle Steele, great reporter for us here at ESPN Correspondent, joining us here on Sedano and LZ. Michelle, thank you so much for the time, and uh, thank you for uh, the great pizza debate. I feel like that yes. was as important a conversation as we could have today as well. Like, I, I don't want to neglect next the time, pizza part. Yeah, yeah, no, next time you guys have pizza talk, hot dog talk, you know, I've got some takes. All right, we, let's go. I like the, the hot circle. take. The, the hot take. circle. Yeah, the hot take of the of cake <laughs> being Chicago-style pizza, we're here for it. We're bringing you back, Michelle Steele, just to have any kind of hot take you've got, feel free to let us know, and we'll put you on. Sweet. Talk All to right. you later. Take care. See you. There she is, Michelle Steele, with us here. All right, LZ, we're going to take a quick break. On the other side, uh, you and I will dive back into the Lakers, including I've got a question for you about Taylor Horton Tucker that I don't think you can answer. How about that? All right, so we'll get to that. We'll also get into the Rockets and the mess that they're in, plus week one of the NFL, obviously a big-time game for the Rams right out of the gate on Sunday night. All right, an abbreviated what you need to know because uh, we went along with our friend Michelle Steele. Uh, LZ, what you need to know is this, is that the Clippers have a 12-point lead against the Nuggets. Uh, we talked about Michael Porter Jr. asking for more touches. And uh, he's taken one shot in nine minutes. So uh, not necessarily great, 
But uh, a big game for Kawhi Leonard, 6 of 10 from the field, 14 points. PG also uh, having a big game, 13 points. And Pat Bev with 10 points. That's when you know the Clippers are really rolling, when Pat Bev has 10 at the half. Well, you know, he's been knocking down threes these last couple of seasons. He's not the guy that arrived there. He's worked on his offensive game to his credit, so I'm not surprised that, you know, he had a good half in a closeout game. But at the end of the day, it's like we said at the beginning of the hours, George, this is about Kawhi. And as Kawhi goes, the Clips goes. And if he's rolling, they're rolling. Uh, one more thing. Daniel House, as we mentioned to start the show, booted from the bubble, LZ, for tricking. Yeah, see, the best part of the story, George, is that it was for hours. Yeah. I was like, go ahead, bruh. Overnight. Go ahead, yeah. bruh. Yeah. Hey, man, that's your dog. Yeah. Hours? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, and that's what you need to know. Brought to you by Morongo. Morongo, play it safe. Good times. Uh, so, LZ. Speaking of good times. Oh, yes. I, I thought you were still to my house. <laughs> LZ, let me ask you this. And Trudell's going to join us here in uh, 13 minutes. So we'll okay. talk to Mike Trudell, our friend here, in a few moments. Are you more confident now of the Lakers' supporting cast? Um, I am not wavering from where I was at the beginning of the postseason, which is the gap between our front two and everyone else's front two is significant enough that we don't need as much from our supporting cast. But what they've shown, particularly during the Rocket Series, George, is that if they need, if you need a 20-piece, somebody on this bench can give it to you or a couple bodies can string one together for you. And right. that's been a beautiful thing to see. Yeah, I, you need a couple bodies, I think. Um, and if that happens, I think you're good. Because the key to the Lakers' success has been – I think it's their 17-1, and one, I want to say now, when Anthony Davis and LeBron each score 30 points or more. So, and look, you're going to get close to 30 from each of them, I think, in all of these games. Now, you may not get exactly 30. Like, one guy may have 34, one guy may have 28, or they both may have, like, 26 or 28. But if you're in that range, you're giving yourself a real shot. All you need from the rest of that group is, is to find a way to get you 50 points, right? From basically everybody else on the roster. Right. And and with the Rockets in particular, what they learned after game one, and I want to give Kyle Kuzma credit because I think he led the way, is that they found out that if you actually cut <laughs> against the Rockets, yeah. you can get layups yes. and dunks. <laughs> well, that's what I was furious about in game one, remember? Exactly. That they, were, they were playing right into the Rockets' hands defensively by not moving off the ball. Yeah, but it was Kyle Kuzma, I believe, in game two who really started cutting aggressively in a half-court yes. set yes. and getting all these layups and dunks. Yeah, yeah. It is, um, it's one of those things where it, it seems so simple, right? But sometimes you get so caught up in like the individual matchups that you just kind of forget about the team game. It, ha it happens more frequently than you think, right? And I think that that's kind of the wild part of it all. But you can't be stagnant in today's NBA. Like, it's just very hard. It's not to say that there aren't moments, right? Like we saw last year in the playoffs, particularly from Kawhi, right? Where right. there are moments where things will get bogged down and you just need a guy to go get you a bucket. Yep. But I think more times, I mean, definitely, you know, 75, 80% of the time, what you want is good ball movement to help you win games. Exactly. And, and honestly, if you really look at the game when Rondo's in there, LeBron is one of the biggest cutters. Right. Because he knows that he's got a guy who can deliver the ball to him. 
you know, so now it's about, you know, Kuz, when he had the ball at the top, missed Braun cutting a few times. One time he missed him, and Braun wasn't even being guarded when he cut to the basket. It's just right. Kuz missed him. He needs to be more cognizant of that um, to close out the series and not force and not lead us to a game six. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. So Rams-Cowboys this weekend – uh, you and I and the crew, Laura and Greg, will play too. Uh, we're going to do the game that we used to do in the, on the morning show uh, when I was on with you, and I know you guys did it with Travis too uh, in, in, in your time with him as well. And it's mm-hmm. basically the NFL picks versus the spread. And we're going to do that in the last segment of the show each and every Friday at 640. And here's the one constant. The Rams, Chargers, and Raiders will be three out of the five games that we pick. Except, obviously, when they have a bye week, right? Then we'll throw in another game. But I'm going to give you all the games right now. So if you want to tune in for that later, if you're in the car later or whatever, at 640, we're going to do our NFL picks against the spread. And now, LZ, we'll actually, I want to explain this for those that didn't maybe hear it when uh, during the morning show. There's five games. Not only are you picking against the spread, but you are assigning a confidence vote to it. For example, the game you are most confident against the spread, you say, that's my number five, and that is worth five points, which means you, Greg Bergman, are going to have to keep a tally of all this. They okay. call that math, Greg. That's called yes. math. And then the game you are least confident in is a one. You'll still pick it against the spread, but you say, that's my one. That's the game I'm least confident in, and then so on and so forth in between. So we're going to do that at 640. Mike Trudell is going to join us in nine minutes. Uh, but let's talk about the NFL and this Rams-Cowboys matchup. I like this for the Rams, and here's why. Uh, you know, look, I know we can all sit, sit, sit here and say this about pretty much every team in the NFL heading into week one, but... If you look it up, man, is Sean McVay really good in week one. The Rams are averaging 31 points per game in openers in his three seasons, and they've outscored opponents by 60 points. They're 3-0 and in openers, including last season against Carolina. And I just think that, you know, much like you and I both believe that they're going to be in the playoff hunt and probably a playoff team, I think because of that, I think you're going to see some of the best coaching Sean McVay has done because he doesn't have the top echelon, top-tier talent that he's had previously. And I just think that for all the stuff that's going on with the Cowboys, there's stuff there. You know what I mean? Like, Dak doesn't have his deal, right? Uh, other guys got their deal. Uh, I, you know, They're trying to integrate a, a new receiver into the mix here. Uh, Jalen Ramsey has owned... Um, their best receiver. So it's like, I feel like certain things are playing in the Rams' favor in this game. Yeah, particularly being overlooked, which is how Sean McVay took the NFL by storm his first year. Correct. He was being overlooked. And I am going to acknowledge that I never played in the National Football League. What? I'm going to acknowledge, George. I know, it's crazy. What? That no I actually way. Made, I've never you played You look like you football could be either. a corner right now. I get that a lot, actually. I get that a lot. But I will say this. I've been covering sports for 20-plus years. And the one thing that the NFL has proven damn near every single season since I've been paid to cover sports, George, is that there's always a couple of teams, if not three teams, that the experts get wrong. Mm -hmm. And they get it wrong because they underestimate the will of a franchise on a mission. Yeah. They do they miss that every single 
time, the will of a franchise on a mission. Why are the Rams on a mission? Why? I'll tell you why. Tell me. I'm going to tell you. What happened last year? What happened? They missed the playoffs. They did. And it was embarrassing because the year before yeah. that, they were in the Super Bowl. I know. So, so what do they want to prove to everyone? That, that they're, they're not a fluke. Right, that they're, they're good again. Yes. They're on a mission. I mean, they also just missed the playoffs by like a game, too. Yeah, but everyone trashed them. And now that you're looking up, and we've had several guests on the morning show, and I'm sure you did as well, George, of current players as well as coaching staff, that when I talk about how the national media talks about them, that when I mention the expectations for them, five wins, maybe six wins, does that bother you? More often than not, there is a pause before they answer. And the reason why they are pausing, George... Is because they don't want to curse and get us caught up in FCC problems. <laughs> but what they're really trying to tell you is we hear the birds chirping yeah. and we're looking for to hunt. Right. We're gonna because we want you to be like my bad at the end of the season when we win ten or eleven games. Yeah, I'm with you. I think they're gonna win ten games. I, I I think I had them at ten and six. I could see eleven and five. I could see nine and seven too. Um, but I think that they're going to be not only in the playoff hunt, but I have them in the playoffs. I know we did our picks of who the playoff teams are going to be, and we, going to be, and we both had the Rams in that particular scenario. So, yeah, I, I like them against the Cowboys. I think they're going to win week one. I, I absolutely think they're going to win. I think the Cowboys' defense is still not great. Um, I think that their offensive line is getting older. I think the whole Dak situation uh, will will linger a little bit. And, and, look, I just think that – and what I mean by situation, I'm talking about the contract – uh, yeah. I just think that the Rams, to your point, are also going to be motivated. Speaking of motivated, it looks like the NBA is motivated because there is an issue with the backboard again in the rim in this yeah. Clippers-Nuggets game, and they have now just fixed it. They've spent the last few minutes, so the second half is starting late because of it. And this is the second time this happens during the bubble. Yeah, I'm going to assume that uh, you know it's just temporary equipment. Maybe it's not used to it. I don't know. Yeah, Guys are hanging on a rim. Who knows? Yeah. Doc's looking good though. Doc's smiling. Yeah. You know. Well, there's a lot of games being played in these in these you know same facilities. That probably has a lot to do. It's just wear and tear, probably more than anything. Yeah, that's true. Uh, So anyway, all right. Mike Trudell is going to join us on the celebrity hotline, the Morongo celebrity hotline. Morongo, play it safe. Good times. Mike Trudell, your favorite Los Angeles Lakers employee and sideline reporter. I mean, maybe Ireland's your favorite employee for the Lakers, but, you know, maybe it is Trudell. Trudell's definitely your favorite sideline reporter, right, LZ? There's no question about that. I mean... What? I mean, it's a lot of sideline reporters, man. I'm saying for the Lakers. Oh, for the Lakers? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah he's absolutely. number one. Of yeah, course. I was like, I'm not going to diss my girl Lisa Salters just because Mike is on the show, man. Come yeah. on now. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Well, if it was also sideline reporters, I mean, you know, there's also me. Well, that goes without saying. I didn't yeah. think we needed to say that part. Right, I'm just saying. Yeah, but, yeah. 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 Anyway, but your favorite Lakers sideline reporter, Mike Trudell, will join us in three minutes.